Hello, welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Barry Uremcio to the podcast. Barry is an experienced beef cattle nutritionist who has worked with Alberta Agriculture for years and now consults as an independent ruminant nutritionist at Uremcio Ag Consulting Limited. This week, Barry is going to join me to discuss how to stretch your winter feed supplies. Let's get started. Hi, Barry. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. And uh, before we get into our topic for today, I'll just maybe ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background. Good morning, John. My name is Barry Uremcio. I worked for Alberta Agriculture for almost 30 years, nine years in private industry. And since March of 2020, we, uh, my wife and I started up our own independent beef nutrition consulting business in Camrose. Okay, so you're located in Camrosbury, and and uh, we'll maybe get you to give us some contact information at the end of the talk, or I can put that in our website. It's been a pretty tough year for cattle producers in Western Canada in terms of moisture and rainfall again, and we've had a number of these years in a row. And this year seems to be a bit more spotty, uh, where some people have had good rain and other people have had almost nothing. There's a lot of producers trying to stretch their feed supplies out in creative ways. And before we get into sort of the details of how best to utilize the feed we do have, maybe we should start by discussing why maintaining body condition in our cow herd is one of the primary goals, especially in these years where we have limitations imposed on us by drought. Why is it so important to maintain body condition? Body condition acts as an insulator. The fat layer underneath the hide keeps the heat inside the animal. If they are skinny, or thin, it takes a lot more heat to keep that animal warm. And equating it to feed requirements, just to keep an animal warm, a mature cow will need roughly an additional 1,400 pounds of hay to produce enough heat, not gain weight, but just to to uh, maintain the heat supply that's needed to keep that animal warm. Other things that happen with body condition score is if an animal is not getting proper nutrition to maintain body condition score, the production of colostrum, both quality and quantity, four to six weeks prior to calving is reduced. Therefore, the passive immunity given to the calf through the colostrum is lower, and you can potentially have more problems with an animal uh, being sick right after birth. The other things that can happen with that is with fetal programming, they need the nutrition throughout the entire pregnancy to develop the proper uh, size of the organs to get the muscle tissue developing, to get the bone uh, developing as well. So that animal has a better chance to grow. So a cow that's a body condition score light or roughly 200 pounds lighter than what she should be, calf weaning weight could be about 40 to 50 pounds lighter just because that calf cannot perform as well as one that's been developed in utero with a proper nutrition program and cow and proper body condition. Yes. And I always like to chat about the impacts on reproduction as well, that those cows in poor body condition are less likely to be cycling when they get into the next breeding season. So it can have an impact on your pregnancy rates the next year as well. Right. 
on the reproduction side of having a cow in lower body condition score, you can have a 15 to 18% reduction in pregnancy rates. The cow that is not fed well, there's uh, research that shows that you're going to have a 10% death loss of calving. Birth weights will not change that very much because that's basically determined by the bull at, at the breeding season. But average daily gain prior to weaning will be reduced by about half a pound a day. So instead of a 400 pound weaning weight, you're probably down around that 350, 360 range. So with that 57 pound difference in weaning weight, you're at $3.80 a pound for what those calves are worth right now. That's $200 an animal that you're leaving on the table. Yeah, so that's pretty big when you put all that together, all those impacts together. So if cows are less than ideal body condition coming off pasture this year, uh, and we may see that because of because of the drought conditions, how should producers address that? What are what are the things they should think about when dealing with that? The first thing, if the calves have not been weaned, do so. Nutrient requirements for a cow that has been that is dry compared to one that is lactating is twenty five percent lower. So they've got more energy and more protein to put back into their bodies rather than putting it into the milk. Rations need to be improved for quality. If you're, if you're still on pasture, supplement with some grain or some pellet or additional silage or hay, anything to improve the quality of the ration going into those cows before it gets cold. If you have the capability, sort out those thin cows put them in with the replacement heifers or the bred heifers. Those animals get a higher quality ration than what a mature cow would get in, in pregnancy. So therefore they should be able to put on an extra weight, you know, an extra pound, pound and a quarter a day. So all those things can help splitting out the thin cows, feed them separately from the main herd or the ones that are fat or in good condition and give them that extra two or three pounds of grain a day. You want to get them into condition before it gets cold. Right. It's a lot harder to fix that post-calving as well. We want to get that fixed before it gets cold and before they calve, because once they start lactating, it gets pretty tough to improve that body condition as well. It's almost impossible to get cows, thin cows especially, to gain any weight after calving. If you can get some weight gain between calving and the breeding season that also improves the uh, reproduction cycle they'll cycle roughly 25 to 30 days sooner than a cow that is losing weight and you'll have a 25 percent improvement in first service conception rates and about a 20 percent improvement in overall pregnancy rate as well it's not much all you need is 10 15 20 pounds of weight gain after after calving and you will see the response. Wow, that's impressive. Well, drought has a major impact on our feed quality, and and that's what we're going to spend a bit of time talking about today. And what are the sort of things that we need to watch for that might be different in our feed sources that have been impacted by drought? With drier conditions, plants tend to mature two to three weeks faster than what they would do in a normal year. Therefore, if you're cutting on a calendar date, you'll find that your quality is going to be down. Once a plant heads out, the protein content will be 
reduced by any place from one to one and a half percent per week. And your TDN or energy density will also drop by one to two percent. So being that three weeks late, you can have feed that's four or five percent lower in protein, six or seven points lower in TDN. So that makes a big difference in the feeding program. The change in energy alone would probably result in needing an extra four or five pounds of grain a day just to provide the same amount of energy in that ration to that dry cow. The other things that happens with the plants when they mature very, very quickly is you'll find that the cows will sort through a little bit more. They don't like taking the stems, especially if it's an alfalfa. That stem is very, very sharp and they'll poke holes in the top of their mouths. More of a problem with some of the other small ruminants, but it'll also happen with cows. And therefore, they're going to voluntarily sort things out and reduce their feed intake. Right, So, and that can have an impact uh, even more on body condition. We're always promoting feed testing for our cow-calf producers and talking about how important it is. Why does it become even more important when we have limited feed supplies? With the dry conditions... And uh, physiologically, the plants being cut late, the quality is going to be lower. So with the feed test results, you can blend different types of feeds together. You don't have to feed 100% hay. You can, if it's good quality feed, you can blend in some straw, 20, 30% straw or slough hay or lowland hay and just meet requirements. So for example, the, the rules of thumb that I use is for a cow in mid, late, and after calving, the protein content should be 7, 9, and 11% on a dry matter basis, and the energy or TDN at 55, 60, and 65%. That should meet the requirements. The other thing that can be done is there was work done back around 2002 when they had the big drought that year was they reduced the total amount of forage provided to the cows down to 1% of body weight. So instead of 35 pounds of hay for a 1,400-pound cow, they were only feeding roughly 17 or 18. They increased the amount of grain that was being fed. They modified the protein supplement or the amount of protein needed to supplement those animals and the vitamin mineral package, but the cows made it through well. They got grumpy, they run to the fence when they heard the tractor coming, but they maintained condition. They calved out without any problems, produced the milk, the calves were healthy, and had no differences in reproductive efficiency compared to a cow that was fed 35 pounds of hay. So there's an opportunity to reduce your total feed requirement or amount of hay that you need for the winter. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that one. So that would be an interesting approach if you had those kind of opportunities to to reduce your forage and, and use grain or something else to supplement that more. In addition to feed testing, it's also pretty important to get a handle on some other things like cow weights and bale weights so that we aren't wasting feed or underfeeding. Do you want to try to describe why those values are so important for us? The research that was done at the Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada Research Station in Macomb, they had to feed a specific amount of hay to a group of animals 
And when they put the individual bales across the scale, they found that there was 200 pounds difference and the bales looked identical. Wow, that's dramatic. And cows, cow weight, cows typically consume 2.5% of their body weight in dry matter per day. So if you've got a 1,400 pound animal versus a 1,200 pound animal, it makes a big difference on how much feed they're able to consume and the nutrients that are required to maintain them and develop the colostrum and get ready for cattle. So having accurate weights or at least a good idea, representative sample, you don't need to weigh every bale, but if you have a load on a trailer or on a truck, run it across a scale and get an average from that load, that should be representative of what you're using. The other thing is, Take 15 or 20 cows, put them across the scale, get their average weight, and that should be representative as well. So then you've got a really good starting point. If you're not feeding enough, again, those cows are going to get skinny. The smaller ones, the older ones are the ones that are going to be giving you the most trouble. So having the proper weights and the amounts of feeds going out should reduce that problem. I think that's really good advice, Barry. In my experience, it seems like a lot of producers underestimate the weight of their cows, that they, they tend to think they weigh less than they do until they, until they weigh them, and then they get a bit, of a, a bit of a surprise when they see what their average cow weights are. And on the other side, they always overest- or generally overestimate the amount of weight in each bale of hay. <laughs> Interesting. Well, in these kind of years, producers sometimes have to rely on feed sources that they don't usually feed. Let's take a few minutes to talk about some of the alternative feeds that we do see utilized in Western Canada and in drought situations, and maybe talk about some of the issues we need to be aware of. So let's maybe start with kosher. Uh, That's kind of something that's not typically fed unless we're getting pretty desperate on our feed supplies. Tell us what we need to be aware of when we feed kosher. Kosher is a plant that has good protein and energy content. But the problems with it is it also contains oxalates, which binds the calcium or reduces the calcium availability in a ration. So you have to supplement a little bit more than the two to one calcium phosphorus ratio. It also can contain high levels of nitrates. And usually kosher grows in areas where you have saline soils. So the salt content in the kosher as well can be quite high. Therefore, if you're feeding free choice salt and mineral, your intakes will drop because their salt requirement is being met by what's in the kosher. So they won't come and eat more salt. The rule of thumb that I use is no more than 20% of the ration dry matter should be from coming from kosher. Okay, that's good. Good one to remember. Uh, let's talk a little bit about green feed. Uh, that's often used a little more frequently in, in years where we don't have enough forage. So what are some of the issues we need to think about when we're using green feed? Green feed, if it's in a drought condition, again, they tend to mature fairly quickly. But a lot of times the green feed crops, if it's a salvage situation, it's coming off a field that was fertilized to produce you know, high yields of either wheat, barley, oats, triticale, rye. So nitrates is probably the biggest concern there. It is a good quality feed. 
depending on how mature it was when it was cut, you can get uh, values of feed values the same as what you'd get in an average quality alfalfa grass hay. As that plant matures and the grain gets more and more developed, what you're ending up with is a uh, bale that is both straw and mature grain. So the cows will try to sort out the grain and eat that first. So some concerns with acidosis and grain overload. If it's cut a little bit earlier and the fertilizer levels are high, or if you're cutting it after a hailstorm, you can have concerns with nitrates. I think nitrates is something we got to always think about in those uh, stressed plants. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing I was thinking about with green feed is, especially if it's been heavily fertilized, is the high potassium levels, which can sometimes have an influence on cows going down prior to calving and uh, having some issues there. So you may need to watch your mineral program a little bit with that too, right? Absolutely. Good point. Let's talk about uh, screening pellets. Those are sometimes byproduct feed that producers will try to get a hold of uh, when they're trying to stretch feed supplies. What do we need to be aware of there? Screening pellets, the quality and the consistency of the product are two concerns. Whatever the plant has available, they will put it into the screening pellet. So one load may be really nice and pelleted well, whereas the next load may not. And again, the amount of energy in those pellets or protein in those pellets can be variable as well. One thing that I do have concerns with with some of the screening pellets is in a dry year, it usually doesn't happen, but there is always the risk of having ergot in those pellets. And you won't see them because they grind it through a mill and then they repellet it. The red flag that I have learned about over the years is if you start feeding a screening pellet and three or four days after the animals have been exposed to this feed, their intake, total feed intake will drop 25, 30%. They'll just go off feed. And it almost looks like a pneumonia or some uh, respiratory disease. Uh, You treat them with uh, an antibiotic, three, four days later, they come back. You think you've got it licked, you you feed them the pellet, screening pellet that has ergot in it, and they go off feed again. So to me, the big red flag is if you get a new load of screening pellets in and they drop off of intakes in three or four days, stop feeding it and have it tested for ergot. Good advice. And I've seen that scenario lots of times too. And screening pellets are certainly a high risk feed for ergot. One thing we got to watch for, probably should test them regularly if you're, if you're going to be using them as a feed source. Let's talk about distiller's grains. So that might be another byproduct feed that people try to get a hold of when feed supplies are tight. What do we need to be aware of there? Distiller's grains, two common forms. One is a wheat distiller's and the other one is a corn distiller's. Uh, Wheat distiller's is roughly 40% protein by weight. Corn is only 30. So there is a difference in the amount of protein between the two pellets. The energy contents in those products are about the same as what you'd get in barley, but your phosphorus levels will be three to four times higher than what you would get in regular grain. And they also can have high sulfur content. So maintaining that proper calcium to phosphorus ratio, especially if you're using distillers 
and a green feed, you're probably going to be looking at roughly a quarter pound of limestone per head per day to keep your calcium phosphorus ratio. You're also going to need a bit more magnesium. But the other thing is distillers also can have a high sulfur content, which if it's over 0.4% in a feedlot ration and 0.5% in a high forage ration, you could have problems with polio. And especially if you had water that had high sulfates as well, the two in combination can make that condition even worse. So be something to be aware of. Let's talk about something that I get a lot of questions about, and I'm not sure I always have the right answers for it. Canola regrowth or canola silage, that's uh, another common feed that gets utilized in these sort of situations. What do we need to be aware of there? Canola regrowth can be as good as a high quality alfalfa grass hay for protein and energy. But two things there, again, those, that crop is generally fertilized for a, a high yield. So nitrates are always a concern. And the big one is the brassicas, be it turnips, radishes, swedes, or even canola or rapeseed in a, in a forage mix. They all accumulate sulfur more so than, than the cereal crops. So again, that high sulfur content is a potential problem. I've had some samples come back at 0.8% sulfur on a dry matter basis, and that would definitely be high enough if it's fed as 100% of the ration to create polio concerns. And again, something to be aware of if your water has high sulfates, that it's just going to compound the problem even more. So that combination together, and we had Greg Penner on the podcast uh, last season to talk about sulfates and some of those issues. And we kept coming back to that combination of both water and what you're feeding. You have to be aware of both in terms of looking at the total sulfur that those animals are getting. Let's talk about cocktail mixes for grazing. So I know nothing about this, Barry. Tell me, tell me what I need to know. Companies are selling seed mixtures that can have any place from four to 12 different species of plants in a mixture. Some have sunflowers, forage rapeseed, kales, some of the other grass species, but turnips. And it's a real, it's a real mixed bag of seed. And the nice thing about it is you get some really nice growth. Yields are really, really good. But again, with, this, with the brassicas in there, you've got your high sulfur content. That's the big thing there. You might have, depending on how much fertilizer the people have applied with the cocktail mixes, again, you're back to the nitrates. But the neat thing is I've watched cows go into a field. Turnips could be as big across as your hand and you'll see one cow pop that turnip right out of the ground and four others will chase after or try to steal a turnip away from her. It's good feed, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you have to test some of these uh, combination the mixtures and, and uh, make sure your feed test has your micronutrients, your sulfur and your nitrates so that you've got a full picture of what's going on. When you send that away for feed testing, you may have to request those. They're not always on the standard feed test. Uh, you might have to ask for things like sulfur as an additional ask on the on the form when you're doing the feed testing, correct? 
And it all depends. The other one that I'm finding, you know, generally the old adage was you only can have molybdenum problems in eastern Saskatchewan and throughout Manitoba. I've got soils in Alberta here that are producing three, four, five parts per million of uh, moly. So it's not just in those areas. I recommend that you routinely get a molly test done on your forages as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I was surprised we did some testing of molybdenum levels in cows across the country, and, and it wasn't just eastern Saskatchewan that we saw high molybdenum in cows. So I think some of our data would uh, agree with that. This year, a lot of producers will rely on using more straw in their cow diets, and we touched on this briefly, but can you give us some guidelines on using straw and especially issues that we might see with different types of straw, like flax straw or things like that? Typically, the highest quality straw is probably oat straw, followed by barley. Wheat and triticale and rye are about the same quality, so that's the third step down. And the last one that I would look at is flax. Cows will consume straw at roughly 1.25 to 1.5% of their body weight. So your upper limit for a 1,400 pound cow would be 21 pounds of straw because of the high neutral detergent fiber content in the straw as compared to a green feed or a hay. If your neutral detergent fiber content is higher than 1.2% in the total ration, that is the point when the cows will stop eating. They'll be full. The neutral detergent fiber is hard for animals to digest. Therefore, it stays in the rumen longer. And over three, four days, you might see a little bit more feed left in the bunk. It's not because they don't want to eat it. It's just that they're full. It's taking longer for the feed to pass through the digestive system. And they just don't have room to eat more. Wheat, rye, Triticale have a higher NDF content than barley or oat straw. And the one thing about flax straw, it's probably got the highest NDF content of any of those feeds. So that's one that I tend to stay away from as much as I can. The other concern with, with flax straw is if there's any amount of green straw in the bale, you could have problems with prussic acid being present. And prussic acid is basically hydrogen cyanide. And a cow could be eating, 30 minutes later, she could be dead. There's almost nothing else that can kill cows that fast other than cyanide toxicity. So you do have to be aware of that. We also have seen some major impaction issues with flax straw where people are trying to push the limits. They, you know, they're short on feed and they're trying to push the limits on feeding straw and giving giving flax straw, get into that cold weather. Those cows are hungry. They try to eat as much as they can. And we saw some major impaction issues with that because of that high NDF. So yeah, that's good advice. Those are things to be aware of. And sometimes you're you're forced to use those less than ideal straws, but you got to be aware of how much you can actually use and how much you can get away with. In conclusion, Barry, if you've got tight feed supplies this year and you're worried about how you're going to deal with things, what would you recommend to producers overall? First thing is calculate out how much feed you're going to need for the winter. If you find that you're going to be short of feed, 
pick the old cows or the grumpy cows or the ones who've got the bad udder or bad feet, call them first. Second thing is do your feed sampling, get the analysis done and get help from, I know that Saskatchewan agriculture still has a good uh, number of uh, livestock specialists that will sit down and help you balance the rations. You can go to a feed company, nutritionist, or hire somebody that's in private industry, but do the work now to save you problems later on. It's, it's not fun trying to find feed in the middle of March or April when you're running out and there's nothing available or the prices are so sky high that you can't afford to buy it. So do your planning now, make the adjustments. And if the pastures have been grazed down hard this last year, add another two weeks of lead time before you're going to turn those cows out onto pasture. So it gives it a good chance to get growing. Every day that you turn cows out early in the spring takes four days off of the grazing in the fall. That's a good rule of thumb and very good advice to plan ahead and try to sort that out early rather than later. It's it's always tough choices. There's no easy answers there. So it's good to try to get ahead of that and make those tough choices now rather than rather than later when your choices become even more limited. Well, thank you, Barry. This has been great advice and uh, great information. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to chat with you about any of this? Easiest way is we've got a website. Just uh, go to beefconsultant.com and that'll get you to our homepage and contact information is there. Great. And I'll put that on our show notes. And Barry has a great blog that I often go and look at. It's great information there. And thank you, Barry, for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Uh, It's great advice and an important topic for many producers this year. So thanks again. You're welcome. Thanks, John. That's our show for this week. Thanks to all of you for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Barry Uremcio. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions or comments that you'd like to suggest topics that you would like to see covered in future episodes, please email me at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care till next time.